Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter, and you can find my co-host for the day, Mr. Matthew Fox, at Nighthawk7734 on Twitter. We are one of a ton of great podcasts that are associated with this network, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Adam Rodas and Dr. Roto from SiriusXM Radio, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Dwayne McFarland. Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great others. Your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. You can find all of us on fulltimefantasy.com. We are also excited to be partnering with expandtheboxscore.com. You can find them at xtboxscore on Twitter. They have some of the best stats in the industry, including college stats that are very hard to find if you're wanting to look at different college players and everything. Some of those stats are, are just incredibly difficult, some non-existent in other places. They have them all for just $15 a year. You can sign up, get all these stats on that. NFL, baseball, and they have basketball on the way. And if you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you will get 10% off that $15. It is well worth it. I guarantee you for today's podcast as i mentioned matt is going to be joining me we're going to run down a bunch of the games from yesterday uh and and some trade news that just broke a little bit ago we're doing this pretty early monday morning so if more trades break while we're discussing on the pod we will talk about those otherwise we'll save the rest of those for tomorrow tomorrow is the trade deadline so let's hop matt on let's talk about the trade and let's break down some games from sunday All right, we're back. Normal crew is back. Matt's back with me. Matt, how was your week last week, and how are you doing so far today? My week well, uh, last week wasn't too bad. Uh, Colorado, you know, kind of the schizophrenic weather. We had a, a nice snowstorm last Thursday, but then uh, woke up this morning to about 68 inches. So first wow. official snow day of the year. All the school districts are closed. City offices are closed. They closed the highway. My work closed this morning, and it is still coming down. It feels like we're in the middle of January. 
Uh, which makes sense because, as far as I can tell, the Broncos have already been eliminated from this NFL season. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, you know it's funny. I was uh, actually talking to um, you know you know I, I had some family stuff. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows I've had some family stuff going on here the past couple days, and uh, so my parents are in town, and uh, obviously the Browns are going two mile high this weekend to play the Broncos. And my dad was talking to me about possibly trying to come up there to go to the game again. And then we were talking about the weather, and he's like, "Well, the tickets might be cheaper since it, it you know he knows obviously." a couple Broncos fans now living up there uh, and he was like seems yeah. like they've all kind of mailed in the season like the team and yeah it's just been not good I can't wait we actually have that one on the on the on the docket today to break down I cannot wait to get to that because obviously uh, Joe Flacco made some interesting comments and everything uh, so I, I can't wait to get your thoughts on that uh, but we did have some breaking news come across here just about an hour before we started recording and and the first NFL trade before the deadline has gone down ladies and gentlemen can I please have your attention I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. We've got uh, Kenyon Drake is going from the Miami Dolphins to the Arizona Cardinals for a conditional 2020 pick. Could be a sixth pick, depending on how much he plays, could move to a fifth pick. So, in my opinion, Arizona side got a steal here in in what I think is a very good running back. But it does raise a couple questions. I want to get your thoughts on it. I mean, I feel like this leans one of a couple ways. We all know Kenyon Drake can be a free agent at the end of this season. So it's not like they signed, they brought him in and he signed for a long term. Now maybe they signed him to a new deal. We haven't heard anything about that. We know Chase Edmonds hurt his hamstring, which I apologize for. I thought he was going to have a good game uh, yesterday. Obviously the hamstring kind of held him out, did not do much. But I think this could either mean one of two things. Either DJ is going to get traded or David Johnson is more hurt than we know and could possibly end up going on IR, leaving it being a Kenyon Drake Chase Edmonds backfield. What is your take on this uh, from the Arizona side? And then we'll attack the Miami side. Yeah, a little bit weird to me. I think that Arizona, you know, 3-4-1 is not a terrible record. But if you look at the division they're in, they're in last place by a lot. There's not even a lock that all three of the teams in front of them, the Rams, Seahawks, and 49ers can make the playoffs. So for a team that feels like they're a little bit trying to be up and coming, wasting any kind of a draft pick on a, on a rental player for this season didn't make a ton of sense. I think we've thought that David Johnson is probably more injured than what we were led to believe uh, during the middle of last week. They were signing um, guys. They went and worked out Jay Ajayi. I believe they signed Alfred Morris and somebody else for depth. Yeah. Um, with Chase Edmonds being hurt, too, they probably they probably need that. Um, you know, our friend Robert, who uh, is a big Cardinals fan and lives in that area, said people have been talking about how David Johnson is a lot worse off uh, than was expected. So, you know, he's probably not going to play Thursday night. Edmonds probably not going to play Thursday night. So, for all the Kenyan Drake owners who've been waiting for him to get traded to a better situation, you're like. Well, you know, he got traded and he might be running back one for a team that saw their running back post three touchdowns two weeks ago, but they're getting the 49ers on a (laughs) Thursday night. I think that's going to be terrible. Yeah. Um, And I don't know, you know, if you were holding on to Kenyon Drake and holding on hope uh, that he was going to go somewhere and get a chance to explode going to a team where Chase Edmonds and David Johnson already exists uh, does not seem like that that kind of excitement and to me the cardinals haven't exactly you know that giants game aside haven't been tearing it up uh 
rushing the ball. Yeah. They've been doing a lot in the passing game. Drake's not a bad pass catcher. I think a lot of the running back pass catching value was coming from the fact that they were missing wide receivers and stuff. So you don't know how healthy guys are getting. And they don't have the greatest schedule. So I think if you were holding out hope for value for Drake this year, this was not a great trade. And if you were playing Drake this week, you just basically got hosed during a point in time yeah. where there's very little option. Yeah, I think on Drake's side, really, I think Edmonds, DJ, and Drake's side, you're you're pissed right now if you own any of those guys, just because I don't think this is a clear situation for any of them. I mean, maybe if you own DJ, if you have Edmonds, if you can get Drake, that might help you, because I do think this speaks more toward Drake than anything else, or not Drake, I'm sorry, DJ, than anything else. There, I think there's something going on with DJ, whether it's a trade or an injury. I honestly think there's a chance we don't see G- DJ the rest of the year. That's why they make the trade. You get some running back depth, and again, for a, for a fifth or sixth round pick, that's not giving up a lot uh, to get a guy who is that talented. Now, what that means for him and Edmonds, I have no idea, as you stated. They're got, they've got the 49ers this week. We've seen the 49ers. Uh, they are for real. It's not any more question. I don't think you can question them anymore. I mean, their defense is legit. You can probably question their offense, but their defense is legit. So, yeah, he already comes in and already has a bad matchup. The The interesting side for me, I think the side if you're most excited about is if you're a Mark, Wal- Mark Walton owner in Miami. I, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Obviously, that, the last time we spoke two weeks ago, I told you that I had picked him up in a ton of leagues, including uh, our, our league that we have with the FLA Riders. I grabbed him a couple weeks ago because they were talking about probably in, increasing his carries, and I didn't know Kenyon Drake was going to get traded. But, you know, you saw that you read the tea leaves a little bit, all the talks and trade rumors, everything. So I grabbed him in a bunch of leagues, and, and now he's going to be the full workhorse. I don't think uh, Balage is anything really to worry about. Now, granted, I'm not expecting Mark Walton to come in and be an RB1 the rest of the season because that Miami offensive line is horrible, and that offense is not that great. But I do, as I said two weeks ago, think that he can easily bring you back something like low-end RB2 value. And again, for a guy that you grabbed off the waiver wire, I think that's good for him. What, what are your, what's your take on the Miami situation with Drake being gone? Yeah, I I agree with you i kind of like mark walton it's not like they have a ton of options going on right now um the real question with miami is what are they going to produce at all i you know when i was doing the preview for the monday night game this morning said i would roll walton out as a solid flex option yeah for him to really make it into that rb2 range you need to either see consistent touchdowns which has been a struggle for miami altogether or some kind of involvement in the passing game which we we have not seen so far now that's you know last week i think you got a pretty good idea that they were i think it was a test balloon of sorts because walton was the primary running back in terms of carries and stuff and i think he did pretty well the real you know we've had some questions last few weeks if balage is simply their goal line back because it seems like he's coming in and getting three carries for five yards and a touchdown every week. That sucks for Walton if you're if you're riding Walton if he's a primary back if you think he's not going to get the touchdown looks. Will he get the same kind of receiving action that Drake had? You know, those are the ways you get to RB2 from flex. I think the starting running back for any team, I mean, Tampa Bay has the worst running back situation in the history of time, and we're still rolling out Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber in some combination because starting running back in the NFL is going to have opportunities. It's what is the potential ceiling versus the floor for Walton for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the on tonight. I actually have him going in a flex spot in a couple leagues. Um, most of those where I had Devontae Adams, so I just kind of left Adams in my flex spot until they ruled him out specifically knowing I could I could use Walton as a backup there. Um, yeah, I mean, that is my biggest concern, obviously, is this Miami offense. We, we don't know how good it will be. I, I will say I've been impressed with what Mark Walton has done. I mean, he, he's looked good running the ball, but as you said, that the, the touchdowns, which I am worried about because they do seem to go to Balazs more around the goal line, but he can get some of that back in the receiving game, and he was a good receiving back in college as well. I've, I've said before on here, in college, he was a very good back at Miami. His problem was injuries. He, he had a lot of serious injuries, a lot of ankle injuries on top of that. In college, that really kind of dropped his stock. I, I'm excited for him again. I think he has a chance to to be a very good player. I, I don't want to say Philip Lindsay-ish because Philip Lindsay proved to be a, a phenomenal player that you grabbed off the waiver wire last year. But I do think if you grab him, you know, running back with this as poor as it looks right now, especially on the waiver wire, he's a guy who could bring you at worst flex flex option. I would say flex points, and I still think has that chance to be up there in that RB two. So going to be interesting. I would not read too much into tonight's game because I do still think Pittsburgh's defense, while their offense is not that great, defense is still phenomenal. They're still one of the top defenses in the league. So I don't know if Walton goes off tonight. Uh, but the Dolphins do have a couple good games coming up, including one against the Browns, who have shown that they can get run all over. So Walton could be in for some some serious playing time and everything. I'm excited to see what he does tonight, but I'm not going to read too much into to his performance against a good defense tonight unless he goes off and then I'm going to claim all kinds of me being very smart but we'll we'll we'll, we'll attack that tomorrow obviously since we have the game tonight let's let's jump in now and break down a bunch of the games that we saw yesterday uh because we had some very interesting games go on and, and a lot of my fantasy teams taking shits all over themselves so let's let's go ahead and discuss what happened First and 10 at the Lions 29, and Prescott goes screen right. Elliott down the right side to the 25, to the 20, to the 10. Elliott to the pylon. Zeke Elliott, touchdown. 38 on the screen. Second down at 10, takes the snap, gives it, Chubb runs, he's in the 15, he's in the 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, there goes Chubb, he's in the 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Chubb will love a hub! 92 yards! from Adam. Case on a deep drop. Steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Off by Diggs. Stay oh my God. All 
right, so for yesterday's games, we're going to start with a, a game that actually turned into to be a fairly good one, surprisingly, in my opinion, the, the New York Giants and the Detroit Lions. The Giants losing 26-31 to in this one. Daniel Jones, 28-41, 322 yards and four touchdowns to come in as QB1 on the day with 43.18 points. Saquon Barkley has a decent game here. RB4, 28.3 points in this one, 64 yards on 19. Carries at 79 yards on eight catches and a touchdown. Does look like he is almost fully back from that ankle injury. Uh, did not see as much pulling up as I did the week prior, so I'm, I'm happy for Barkley. Hopefully, he continues to stay healthy. Uh, Darius Slayton has a bunch of big plays in this one, really just the two catches, uh, but does get touchdowns on both of them and adds 50 yards as well to come in as wide receiver 11 with 19 points. Golden Tate, wide receiver 16 with 16.5 points, 85 yards on eight catches, and then Evan Ingram, four, four catches, 40 yards and a touchdown to come in at tight end seven with 14 points. Big play Slade takes a big step forward in this one. I, I don't know if I want to, I'm not going to lean too much into it or think too much about it. As I just said, it was two catches for two touchdowns. So really all of his fantasy points coming on those two catches. But would you consider moving him into flex territory? Now, we have seen him have a couple good games here in the past big couple weeks. Obviously, you have Tate, Ingram, and Barkley there. So I would say he's probably third on the list or fourth uh, when it comes to receptions. But what are your thoughts on Slay and in your fantasy lineups moving forward through the rest of the season? Um, I think whether you'd even consider playing him or not is going to have some to do with uh, Sterling Shepard. Um, because, you know, when he comes back, He's going to be, uh, you know, that top four for targets is going to be Tate Shepard, Barkley, and Ingram. And then where does Slayton land? You know, you look at the line for somebody like uh, Cody Latimer or Benny Fowler yesterday who were in that 3-4 receiver, 2 for 28, 2 for 21. And yesterday, you know, we saw Daniel Jones snap back to more of what we saw the first two games. Yeah. Um, gone through some real slow periods you know he's still a rookie they don't have a tremendously easy schedule i was actually somewhat surprised at how much they were able to move the ball and make touchdowns yesterday i thought detroit had a better defense than that um and they i had expected detroit was going to win fairly easily and it certainly seemed like uh it certainly seemed like the Giants were able to push them and to get a lot of scores especially down second quarter on kind of you know, rolling up four touchdowns. So that's another big part of it. To me, Slayton had five targets. He caught two for 50 yards and two touchdowns. That's a real boom bust kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe when you hit a couple of these bye weeks coming up, where bye weeks and injuries, and if Shepard's going to be out, maybe you think about it. But to me, there's nothing consistent about his uh, performances where I'd say that's a guy the Giants are going to make a part of their plan. And that's a guy I've got to get in my lineup. He was, you know, he was still fourth in targets with with Shepard gone. Where is he going to be in targets later? Yeah, I think what what you said right there at the beginning is the key point. As long as Shepard is out, uh, if Shepard's in, I'm I'm with you. I don't think you play him at all. If Shepard is out, I, I would feel comfortable maybe throwing him as a as a low end flex play. I'm not. He's not someone I'm starting as a wide receiver one or two. Uh, but with Shepard out, I do think it, it to me it looks like uh, from what I've seen the past couple games, Daniel Jones does like to look toward him. So I might take a shot on him as a flex play while Shepard's out. But if she, say Shepard comes back. 
back next week. Uh, I don't, maybe he gets you a big play, but he'd be way too boom bust for me to even think about because I would want to throw Shepard in there. He's just the more talented player. Well, on the Giants offense, you know, I mean, last week it was Rhett Ellison catching touchdowns. I feel like um, Jones is a little bit not, he has main guys that he's targeting that have a better chance of production, but he's going to hit whoever's open and whoever has a matchup, which is a sign of a, a good player who's maybe getting better and getting more comfortable. Yeah. So that's, you know, the kind of possibility Slayton definitely, I would say has emerged out of that group of other giants receivers, which is what we were trying to figure out a lot earlier this season. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. On the, on the lion side here. So Matt Stafford QB five on the week with 35.63 points, 25 to 32, 342 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. The backfield was all kinds of messed up, and I'm, I'm hoping you guys did not. I, I talked about it on Friday's podcast. I said don't play Ty Johnson unless you have to. He did 25 yards on seven carries. You saw Carson out there, 34 yards on 12 carries. Actually got the most carries. Perkins out there for a little bit was just all kinds of messed up. Johnson coming in at RB41 with 6.3 points. Kenny Galladay reverted back to the means, which we all kind of thought he would. 123 yards, six catches. Two touchdowns. Marvin Jones kind of comes back to earth a little bit in this one. Just 22 yards on four catches. But the guy that I'm really intrigued by, Danny Amendola, 95 yards on eight catches. So, Kenny G, as I said, bounce back great. But Danny Amendola, is he worth moving into your flex spot? He's sitting right now at wide receiver 53. Outside of the game he got injured in, which I believe he put up, I think that was the game he put up like 1.9 points, and then he he missed the game after that, and then he put up another game with 7 points. That was the only other game that he's had single digits in. He's been in double digits in every other game this season. What are your thoughts on Danny Amendola moving forward? We've seen that he can be interesting, or a good player when he's not hurt. Are you trusting him if he's on your waiver wire? Are you going to take a shot on picking him up? Yeah, I mean, we started this season that Arizona Cardinals game. He caught seven balls for 104 yards and touchdown, and I thought, well, you know, maybe this is a sign of something. The next week, nothing. Not a lot. Philly, not a lot. And then he was out a little bit. But the last two weeks, you know, we've seen pretty consistent targets. So maybe the middle part of that run was a little bit of injury. Um that's not realizing he was injured because it sure, it sure seems like um, he has a kind of a role in there and they like him. And I actually think that to me is more what's holding back uh, any idea that TJ Hawkinson is going to blow up okay. you know, anything else because Danny Amendola, we've seen him. He plays that little kind of interior slot yeah. slot role getting peppered with targets. He had, uh, 11 last week, caught 8 for 105. He had 8 yesterday, caught all 8 for 95 yards. I think he is somebody you have to look at as, as a decent flex opportunity. It feels like something that um, you know we haven't seen. Yesterday we thought we might see J.D. McKissick uh, pick up some passing game work. We've seen in the past Stafford has had a back like a Theo Riddick that he's wanted to pepper with targets, and people had wondered – if that was some of the reason they they didn't get as much out of the tight end as other teams. And I'm wondering if Danny Amendola is kind of working into that that kind of underneath short yardage check down kind of guy um, that that is kind of filling that role because we haven't seen any 
running back really take that position. We've seen tight end kind of up and down. We saw more production from tight ends during the time when Amendola was kind of injured and out. Um, so I wonder if that's just a nice little niche that he's settling into and they're using Jones and Galladay on the outside because Stafford has consistently always had somebody kind of in that range, whether it be a back or um, a small kind of slot receiver. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really interesting for me. I'm not going to lie. I, I really like what I've seen out of him for a couple of those weeks. I, I would take – if he's on your wave wire, I'm picking him up. Uh, we're, we're about to get, obviously, to a couple of weeks here with a bunch of teams on buys. I would imagine you're probably not going to be able to find that many better waiver wire options right now or someone you can throw in your flex spot uh, that looks like they're going to be a key part of the offense. I didn't even think about the Hawkinson angle, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Because, And I'll honestly, I think that might be hurting Marvin Jones some as well, where he might have been thinking about trying to check down to Marvin Jones if Kenny Galladay's covered deep, and instead he's just going right to Danny Amendola because he's right there in the flat uh, and being able to soak up some of those yards. And he, he's fairly decent after the catch as well, so... That is definitely an interesting thought on Hawkinson and why maybe he is not kind of produced outside of that first week. Uh, the next game up here, we've got the Panthers just getting blown out by the 49ers. Panthers 13, 49ers 51. For the Panthers side here, Kyle Allen, 19 of 37, 158 yards and three interceptions. Coming in as QB 28 with 6.57 points. CMC just continues to dominate, though. RB 6 on the week with 27.5 points. 117 yards on 14 carries and a touchdown. Added 38 yards on four catches. Debo Samuel led the day as wide receivers. 11 targets, four catches. 46 yards. DJ Moore just 38 yards on five catches. Moore wide receiver 40 with 10.3 points. Samuel wide receiver 43 with 10.10 points as well. On the Panthers side, I mean, obviously, as I said, we saw kind of Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore kind of both playing that same role. It's it's pretty much just dropped down to CMC until until uh, Cam comes back for you, right? Yeah, and I think yesterday kind of. Um... You started hearing more people uh, talking about, well, I wonder when Cam Newton's going to come back. You know, there had been a stretch there for a while. Should the Panthers dump Cam? Should they just tell him he's not coming back to start? We have Kyle Allen now. I think yesterday maybe dispelled some of that. Kyle Allen has been an admirable backup and an admirable fill-in. But I think yesterday you saw he's not quite at that next level. And I still think Cam Newton, when he's healthy, is still the guy that that drug this Panthers team to Super Bowl 50 and was a league MVP um, and can offer something different. And the Panthers have had a better season than I expected. They're still four and three. They're still hanging around in a crowded playoff field. Um, McCaffrey is incredible. Uh, I think he's got to be on the short list for NFL MVP right now, because can you imagine what this team would be without Christian McCaffrey? Um, But just a tough game. And, And these 49ers, man, there is a cream of the crop at the top of the NFC that is going to be incredible to watch. I think later this uh, year, the Packers are going to play against the 49ers. That's going to be one to watch. 49ers Rams, 49ers Seahawks. 49ers I'm not Saints. sure. I think they play the Saints, too. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there is a cream of the crop at the top of the NFC that is really emerging and starting to distance themselves. That's going to be really fun. I'm, I'm way looking forward to the NFC playoffs, I can tell you that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just thinking about it off the top of my head, I can't wait to see the 49ers, just two of the teams that you mentioned in the Packers and the Saints, because I feel like those offenses are so explosive. Them going up against those de- the, the 49ers defense, and if they are able to put up some points, can this 49ers offense keep up? Because I think that's kind of the biggest question mark I have, especially coming from Jimmy G. So Jimmy G, 18-22, 
175, two touchdowns, one interception to come in at QB 18 with 21.5 points. Tevin Coleman, though, continues to be a rock star in Kyle Shanahan offense. 105 yards on 11 carries and three touchdowns, added 13 yards on two catches and a touchdown as well. It's coming at RB2 with 37.8 points. Raheem Mostert and Matt Breida both mix in a little bit here, but Mostert actually has a decent fantasy day. RB17 with 14.25 points, 35 yards, I'm sorry, 60 yards on nine carries and a touchdown. Breida, 35 yards on 11 catches, added a 15-yard catch as well to come in as RB43 with six points. Debo Samuel gets a rushing touchdown in this one. Two carries for 29 yards and a touchdown, just 19 yards on three catches. And then we saw Emmanuel Sanders make his debut for the 49ers, comes in at wide receiver 28 with 12.5 points, 25 yards on four catches and a touchdown. And George Kittle looks like he is back to being the guy that he was last year. 86 yards on six catches, tied in six on the day with 16.10 points. I talked about it on Friday's podcast. I I said the only guy I felt comfortable playing was Coleman. Maybe throw Breida in in the flex. I really feel like what Coleman did this week showed that he is the workhorse for this backfield. He's the only guy that you can trust. Uh, and I liked what I saw out of Emmanuel Sanders. I talked about that on Friday's podcast as well. I thought they would try and integrate him a little bit, uh, maybe script a couple plays for him in those first couple drives, a lot like what the Patriots did with Antonio Brown uh, when he first played his first game with them. Looks like they did. He got a touchdown out of it. I think Sanders is easily their number one and the only receiving option outside of Kittle I would trust on that offense. What What are your thoughts on, on the Sanders and Coleman uh, dilemmas that we have going on in San Francisco. Yeah, and uh, before I get to the players, I, I looked up their schedule just since we talked about it. 49ers, the rest of the season, they're at the Cardinals Thursday, then Monday Night Football on November 11th uh, versus the Seahawks. They get the yeah. Cardinals again, then the 24th, they host, the 24th of November, they host the Packers. All right. Then five weeks in December, at the Ravens, at the Saints. Home for the Falcons, home for the Rams, at the Seahawks. Wow. I, that's going to be kind of an incredible stretch of games. You yeah. know, uh, no offense to the Cardinals, but that's probably kind of the easier slot in their schedule. They get them twice in the next three weeks. Um, and then that's that's going to be a killer fun schedule going down the stretch in December and the end of November. Oh, hang on. Before you get into this, we just had another trade really quick. Not not a big one for fantasy, so I'll just kind of break it down, uh, see if you have any thoughts on it. Leonard Williams is going to the Giants for third and fifth this year. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. That's kind, of, that's kind of my thoughts on it, too. I mean, the Giants need help up front. That gives them that, that good pass rusher. I like the Jets getting a couple pits, picks back. They, they probably weren't going to pay Williams anyway, so a third and a fifth. A third this year and a fifth next year. I'm sorry, but... That's you know not not a bad not bad move at all. Now continue. I apologize for interrupting your break. Uh, Go ahead. No, it's just weird to think of the Giants being buyers right now because at two and six you wouldn't really. Well, I think for them, I, I mean, it depends on what you think. I guess of Leonard Williams. A lot of people thought he was one of the best defensive players coming out a couple of years ago. I mean, he, in my opinion, is a very good defensive lineman. I think he's supposed to be a free agent after this season. So maybe it was more of a hey, we're going to take him because he's looks better than some of the other defensive linemen we think are coming out, and then they can just pay him at the end of this year, and they have him locked up uh, to go with, I can't remember who they drafted, Lawrence from uh, Clemson. 
in the yeah. draft this year. So pair those two together. I mean, not a bad move. I don't know if it's them saying they're they're buying all in for this season, but maybe like a long term move. Uh, I mean, like I said, a third and a fifth. That's not if Williams ends up panning out to be what a lot of people think he could be. It's not a bad pay, uh, not a bad pay for a defensive lineman that could be really good. Plus, it's Dave Gettleman, so you got to take it with. That is true. That, that's probably the best analysis we just gave on that whole trade. It's, it's Dave Gettleman. So back for the 49ers, one of the things um, I think to keep in mind, uh, the Sanders trade made a lot of sense for the 49ers, both in terms of them needing kind of that one guy they could single out as being a number one. I think we've seen, <clears throat> sorry, throughout the year, Debo Samuel has had moments. Uh, people have been high at times on Dante Pettis. Marquise Goodwin's been in there. Kendrick Bourne. They've had a bunch of different guys kind of going through, but nobody that you could identify and say, Here's an alpha. Here's a number one. Uh, the 49ers look like a team that the, that's poised to make a serious run this year. Sanders on the last year of a contract. So maybe you get him in there. You get a number one this year going through. The best thing probably for them is Rich Gangarello is Denver's offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback coach under Kyle Shanahan last year. So they run essentially somewhat the same offensive system. So there was a lot of talk about in terms of Sanders going over and being able to acclimate quickly. You could find few better spots than that. So I think it makes sense for a lot of reasons. I still don't think the passing offense for San Francisco is where they're really making their, their name in fantasy. Uh, Jimmy G has looked fine. Um, we'll see against some of these performances. Coleman is a great guy to roll out there. I don't know about Brita. He, he's got that boom bust potential. Yeah. Yesterday we didn't even really see him do much. They still are using, they used Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson yesterday. Part of that could be because it was a blowout. Um, but you know, Coleman seems to be the one Brita seems to be a solid number two, and he has some boom-bust potential. The 49ers have a, a great offense and a lot of pieces. I think they're a team that has so many potential pieces that you you don't know who you're going to get a top-end performance from week after week. You know, Tev, It wouldn't surprise me at all on Thursday night to see Matt Brita go for two touchdowns and Tevin Coleman to have like 75 yards. Right. Offense and no touchdown. You know, I mean, this is nothing against Tevin Coleman. He's incredibly talented. They just seem to be moving the pieces in and out. I still like Sanders best among the wide receivers and then probably Debo Samuel. But I don't know week to week how great you're feeling putting any of them out there. I put Sanders out in a flex spot in a couple of places yesterday because I felt like they were going to try to get him going. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're so powerful on defense too and they're so powerful in other facets of the game it's almost like new england literally you know new england there's like six or seven guys that could be incredible in any given week or they could give you nothing yeah. depending on game flow and what the defense is doing and what everything dictates so at, you know san francisco is an incredible real life team for fantasy i think they're going to continue to be somewhat frustrating yeah, I mean, for me, what you just mentioned there with them being so much like the Patriots is kind of why I, I feel comfortable with Coleman and Kittle more than anybody else because if that defense continues to turn the ball over, I mean, they're not going to score every time they turn the ball over. So I think if they're doing it and giving you good field position, that likely means Coleman, Kittle are going to get it. I, I would still feel somewhat comfortable Sanders in the flex, uh, but if, if I had to pick somebody that I felt 
comfortable every week. Coleman and Kittle, I think I'm throwing in my lineup every week, and I'm fine with it because I, I do think Coleman, while healthy, is going to be the guy. We, we saw it even uh, when he was there in Atlanta. They had Devonta Freeman, and they drafted Tevin Coleman that year, and Tevin Coleman was getting a lot of work ahead of Devonta Freeman. It pissed Freeman owners off for a long time, and we, and we all thought Coleman had a uh, great ability, and I still think he does. It's just the injuries that have kind of held him back. So I like Coleman there. I think I would steer clear of Breida uh, and Mostert. I think one of them might have a decent game while, uh, with Coleman there, but I wouldn't trust playing either one of them because you never know which one it's going to be. Yeah, and I wonder if the Falcons regret the way they played Tevin Coleman, Devonta Freeman. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they are. I, I would imagine they probably wish they still had Tevin Coleman there. Well, I shouldn't say that. DeFonta Freeman, as well, we're about to talk about, had a decent day, which is, is just very frustrating. Or not really frustrating. It's good for me because I'm still trying to sell him. I don't have much time left, and I really need to try and, I guess, try harder to sell him. But the Falcons lost to the Seahawks yesterday. On the Seahawks' side, Russell Wilson finishes his QB 16 with 23.18 points, 14 to 20, 182 yards and two touchdowns. Chris Carson has himself a pretty good day here 90 yards on 20 carries and a touchdown coming in as running back 15 with 15 points DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett both have good games although DK's all coming based on touchdowns DK comes in at wide receiver 19 I'm sorry 17 with 16.3 points 13 yards three catches two touchdowns Tyler Lockett 100 yards on six catches really Lockett the focal point of that receiving game I mean the next best in targets were was Metcalf and more four five and four so Lockett getting a ton of the targets and a bunch of yards here for the Seahawks I mean you know surprisingly good game I, I I said to start Carson uh Lockett Metcalf and Wilson on the podcast Friday all those worked out for you if you started them again Metcalf though just because of the touchdowns I think for me you're starting Carson and Lockett every week obviously with Russell Wilson as well still probably an MVP candidate Metcalf I think it's got to be the better matchups uh that you start him or at least feel comfortable starting him what, what's your take on Seattle yeah, I mean, Lockett seems like the better um, week-to-week receiving option. Um, but Metcalf, I, it feels like they're kind of in a pattern where Metcalf, maybe because of his huge physical frame, um, is a guy they're looking at in the red zone. Um, you know, we've seen quite a few times where he's gotten little touchdowns and stuff. Uh, it worked out pretty well yesterday. Yeah, Seattle... You know, it's hard to have incredible confidence week to week. Uh, anyone beyond Lockett, Carson, and Wilson, yeah. uh, who seem to pretty well have established their roles. We did see a Rashad Penny sighting, so I'm sure that makes truthers happy. Uh, <laughs> 55 yards on eight carries. It was a weird game because they were just destroying the Falcons in the first half. And then it's almost like they just set it and forget it on cruise control in the second half. 24 nothing. At halftime, they only end up scoring three in the second half, while the Falcons kind of make it look like more of a game than it ever really felt like it was. Yeah, that's all Maddie Shaw, baby. Maddie Shaw came back to Seattle, and or I think, no, yeah, he wasn't in, in Seattle. It's been, but, but comes in comes in there for, for Matt Ryan being out and just lights up that Seattle Seahawks defense. Uh, well, you said on Metcalf, uh, what might actually be helping him too there in the red zone is the fact that they did lose Will Disley, who is kind of their big red zone monster in my opinion so that might actually help uh, Metcalf moving forward some I don't know if we I don't I still don't think you can start him every single week but if maybe we see that in the next couple of weeks he's really getting a lot more targets in the red zone as you were just talking about he might be a worthy flex play every week because uh, Seattle does have a a good enough offense that they can drive down the field and, and put up some decent points every single week 
Well, I actually think he might be a a, a decent flex play oh, okay. uh, right now. I mean, he's he's done. You know, I mean, if you were looking at numbers, just the last, let's say, the last uh, four games, he had two for forty-four and a touchdown against the Rams. He caught four for sixty-nine against Cleveland, so no touchdown. But yeah. between, if you're in a PPR league, that's uh, ten point nine points. Yeah. Baltimore caught four for fifty-three, and then yesterday only three for only thirteen, but he got two touchdowns. He's consistently getting the last three weeks. He's gotten at least five targets. I think you probably are onto something with Will Disley being gone. He's more of maybe a clear number two option. Uh-huh. They all do weird things. You know, we saw Jerron Brown catch a couple touchdowns a couple weeks ago. David Morris floating around out there. I don't think. I think those are the guys you got to stay away from trying to start. But it seems like Metcalf at least has somewhat uh, of a solid role in the offense. Hey, I love it. I, I've been a Metcalf believer for a long time. I'm glad the kid's proven people wrong. And, and I'm right. Hey, if if you're if you're willing to throw him in your flex, then so am I because I love the kid and I'd love to see him to continue to succeed in the NFL. On the Falcon side here, Matt Schaub comes in at QB eight with thirty two point one five points in this one. Uh, 39 of 52, 460 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Devonta Freeman continues to do a bunch of work in the receiving game, but not that good in the running game. 39 yards on 13 carries, but does get you 63 yards on eight catches to come in RB13 with 16.95 points. Julio Jones, wide receiver six with 25.2 points, 152 yards on 10 catches. Calvin Ridley, wide receiver 25 with 13 points, 70 yards on four catches. And then Austin Hooper continues to dominate the tie end position 65 yards six catches and a touchdown tight end four with 19.25 points talked about it on friday's podcast i thought if matt ryan had not quite yet been ruled out yet i said if matt schaub goes out there you can really only trust in my opinion julio and hooper i was wrong on that obviously i said sit devonta freeman freeman had a good game so i hope you ignored that advice Uh, I'm, i'm still not sure what to think of ridley though i mean I feel like he's he's become very boom-bust in this offense. Maybe it was Matt Schaub being out there, but I feel like he was kind of the same with Matt Ryan. What, who would you feel, you know, we're, we're halfway through the NFL season now, a week past probably what you would call the halfway fantasy part of the season. Who are you trusting right now in this offense outside of Julio and Hooper? Because I feel like we can both say those are locks for your lineup every single week. Are you trusting Freeman? Are you trusting Ridley? I mean, I think you're putting Freeman out there because he's the number one and because he's getting volume, which certainly seems like uh, the Falcons' defensive situation is such that uh, they're always going to have garbage time. And garbage time is a wonderful thing. You know, I think that's – if you would have looked at the numbers at the half, all of Atlanta would have been a write-off. But uh, the second half, garbage time, throwing a lot. I mean, Matt Schaub threw 460 yards kind of tells you something – um, it is a little concerning. Freeman seems to split in the backfield. You know, Brian Hill only had three carries, but one of them was for the rushing touchdown. Um, so he's still seeding work. I think we were seeing that when Edo Smith was healthy, too. He's still seeding work there. But he's back to being kind of a force as a pass catcher, and I feel like we had forgotten a little bit that when he first burst onto the scene, it wasn't really that he was the dominating Ezekiel Elliott-type runner. It was that he was rushing pretty well, but he was a huge factor in the receiving game. And it seems like he's kind of con- come back to where 
you know, the, the top three receivers for this team are Julio Jones, Austin Hooper, and Devonta Freeman. So I think that gives him enough to say that you should be starting him every week. Uh, Ridley, you know, with Sanu gone, maybe gets more steady. Um, he seems to be more of a kind of big play boomer bust guy right now. A uh, little bit hard to trust. I think it depends week to week what your options are and what the matchups are. Um, you know, the Falcons are still in the division with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so that's looking pretty good. They still have uh, some teams that they're going to play that aren't exactly robust pass defenses. I might be more excited about Ridley there because you have to figure this is going to be a team that's going to be thrown. All right, the next game we've got up is the Eagles and the Bills. Eagles winning that one 31-13. On the Eagles side, Carson Wentz goes 17-24, 172 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. to come in at QB 19 with 20.6 points. Miles Sanders, who I talked about on the podcast Friday, said would have a huge game, comes in big for you, 74 yards on three carries, one touchdown, adds 44 yards on three catches to come in at RB 8 with 22.8 points. Jordan Howard, RB11 with 18.1 points in this one. 96 yards, one touchdown, 23 carries. Alshon Jeffrey comes up a little bit short, 64 yards on four catches. And then Dallas Goddard, tight end 11, 11.1, or 11.2 points, I'm sorry, with 22 yards on one touchdown, two catches. Eagles uh, beat up on the best defense in the league in this one. What are your thoughts on Dallas Goddard, though? Do you think he becomes the new top tight end in Philadelphia with him really kind of taking away a lot of the work and touchdowns from Zach Ertz? Yeah, I think if you're an Ertz owner, um, he's not maybe the lock that he was. And some people had wondered if uh, if he was going to be the one of the kind of big three going into the season with Kelsey, Ertz, and Kittle kind of being that top tier. If he was the one that was going to face the most competition. And Dallas Goddard has really seemed to come on, seems to have a connection with Carson Wentz. And I would definitely be concerned and, and lowering Ertz a little bit going forward. Now I think he's... Ertz is still a talented player. He's still been a big part of this offense, so I don't know that you're just throwing him on your bench, but this becomes a a tougher situation. Um, Goddard didn't light it on fire yesterday. Five targets caught three, but he does get 22 in the touchdown. Ertz hadn't really done much of anything, only catches two for 20, so kind of, you know, kind of a question. Miles Sanders, uh, I thought he had a good game, 65 yards for a touchdown, uh, one big play, uh, kind of doing it. So um, he got banged up a little bit. Hopefully he'll be okay too. All right, now on to the Buffalo Bills. So Josh Allen had a, a pretty mediocre day this week, uh, 16-34, 169 yards, two touchdowns, added 45 yards rushing to come in at QB 15 with 26.76 points. Devin Singletary, who I actually did not think was going to have a good day, good day, at least comes through for you in fantasy, mostly due to a receiving touchdown. Just 19 yards on three carries, but does add 30 yards on four catches and a touchdown to come in at RB 16 with 14.9 points. John Brown, 54 yards on five catches. Cole Beasley, 41 yards on three catches and a touchdown to come in at wide receiver 24 with 13.10 points. The Bills really struggled in this one, which is kind of surprising, especially with the amount of uh, receiving yards that the Eagles have given up up the past couple weeks thought John Brown and Cole Beasley would have good games here uh what are your thoughts on Singletary moving forward though does seem like Frank Gore almost has like a stranglehold on this this running back group which you really would have thought at least in my opinion I thought with as good as Singletary looked those first two games that he 
would get more run now that he is back healthy. Are you worried about throwing Singletary in your RB2 or flex? Or you think he, you know, cream rises to the top, he's going to eventually be the, the running back for Buffalo? I still like him in the flex range uh, for now. I don't know if I would take away any patterns uh, from this game. You know, Philadelphia has been pretty brutal to run against for everyone. I mean, we saw when they played Green Bay what they did to Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, and obviously we've seen Jones in subsequent games as both a runner and a receiver, what he can do. So it didn't seem like going in it was going to be a great day for rushing, and it really wasn't. Running backs only had 12 carries total in this game, 9 for 34 for Gore, 3 for 19 for Singletary, but he made it up uh, in the passing game. He has seemed to be the better passing down option when he's in there, even before he got hurt. Um, I thought it was his passing down work that was kind of giving him value, and he's kind of a bigger play guy. I think he's a, a flex play with upside right now. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch the Bills. They were really hot going into their bye week, and now coming out, this is two sort of uh, iffy, disappointing games in a row for the defense. Last week, uh, they were playing the Dolphins, and uh, the Dolphins were really actually really close to winning that game and were able to move the ball pretty well on the Bills' defense. And this week, the Eagles put up 218 yards rushing and were able to have some big plays in the passing game, too. So I kind of got to wonder, the Bills' formula has been that power running game, controlling the clock, and just suffocating people on defense if they start to lose that formula uh, they're going to, I think, have a harder time staying in the playoff picture. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, probably the biggest thing for me, too, is that defense, which we saw really the first couple weeks, even up against the Patriots, I think that was back in week four, were, were considered one of the best defenses. Mm. I mean, not there with the Patriots and the 49ers, but still one of the best defenses, and I do think that with with them not really holding teams as well as they did early in the season has, has hurt that offense a little bit because I don't think they have that shootout potential. I mean, I know Josh Allen has a huge arm and John Brown is fast and, and Singletary and Frank Gore are good, but they don't have that explosive offense in my opinion. So yeah, I do. I'm with you. That defense could really end up keeping them out of the playoff race, which technically they are in it right now. Let's see here. Next up, we've got the Los Angeles Chargers and the Chicago Bears. And my goodness, that was uh, both these teams trying to find ways to lose this one. But the Bears were the ones that ended up losing 17-16. to Phillip Rivers, 19-29, 201 yards, one touchdown, one interception to come in at QB 22 with 16.7 points. Melvin Gordon, uh, just a tad bit better on the day at the running back position. 31 yards on eight carries and a touchdown. Just three yards on two catches in the receiving game. RB 20 with 12 points. Nine points. Austin Eckler, RB26, with 10.2 points in this one, just three yards on three carries, uh, but does get you a, a receiving touchdown on two catches and 19 yards. Again, RB26 with 10.2 points. Both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, I think, had decent days here. Both dropped touchdowns, so I think, obviously, they would have much better days had they caught them. Allen, 7 for 53. Again, not bad for a guy who many thought was not even going to play in this game. Wide receiver, 29 with 12.3 points. Williams, wide receiver, 44 with 9.9 points. 69 yards on three catches. Then, of course, Hunter Henry at tight end, just 47 yards on four catches. Tight end, 14, 8.7 points. Uh, you know, they were really, in my opinion, were trying to find ways to lose this game. End up pulling out the win. Um, you know, for me, I said on Friday I'd probably start Eckler over Gordon. I mean, Gordon just barely outproduces him by just like 2.7 points. I feel like it's really starting to lean heavier toward Gordon. Uh, so for me, I would start moving more toward Gordon in my lineups than Eckler. Would you agree with that? Uh, 
I don't know about that. Uh, Eckler has the receiving um, game, which is where he has been making his kind of his bulk of his points to begin with. They only ran the ball 12 times. Yeah. I mean, eight carries for Gordon, three for Eckler. I don't know if I take away a lot from that. Gordon had a couple catches. Eckler had a couple of catches. I think what's really going to be interesting is watching the next two days because there's a lot of rumors flying out there that Gordon could be traded uh, possibly to the Lions, um, which would be interesting. And honestly, the Chargers three and I think they're three and five. Yeah. Or three. They have not really had the season go kind of the way that they hoped. I think they were actually probably a better team when Eckler was in there running back offensively than they've looked since Gordon came back. They pretty much declared during the off season that they weren't going to keep Gordon. I think he's a strong candidate to be moved in the next couple of days, especially if something can come together. You know, Detroit's one of those teams that probably has some playoff hopes and some playoff aspirations. Yeah, that would, that would be interesting, especially with obviously the carry on uh, Johnson injury just the other day. Um, I should yeah. mention, uh, obviously, while we were recording, Chase Edmonds' news came out that he will likely be out the next couple of weeks with the hamstring injury. So that makes the Kenyon Drake trade even more, or makes a little bit more sense of what we were talking about earlier. It really kind of gives them a guy uh, they can count on, especially if DJ is going to be out. We haven't heard anything on DJ yet, but uh, make the trade makes a little bit more sense now knowing Edmonds is going to be out for at least a couple of weeks. Uh, on the a Bears, sacrificial lamb to feed to the 49ers two times in three weeks. Yeah, that poor guy. But, you know, hey, if he does something in the receiving game, I feel like Drake owners will be happy because he really hasn't been able to do much in Miami so far this year. I don't think that's because of him. I think it's more Miami. Uh, let's see here. Yep. Bears side, Mitch Trubisky, 23-35, 253 yards, an interception, 10 yards on the ground to come in at QB 26 with 12.8 points. David Montgomery, I talked about it on Friday's podcast, the Chargers were giving up a lot on the ground, something not a lot of people I thought were talking about. I said David Montgomery would break out in this game. Granted, he did have one 55-yard run, but still, with everything added in here, a great day for him, by far his best day so far this season. 27 carries, 135 yards, and a touchdown added 12 yards in the air to come in as RB7 with 24.7 points. Tariq Cohen, RB35, with 7.6 points, just 9 yards on the ground, but did add 37 yards on three catches. And then Allen Robinson uh, came in at wide receiver 36 with 11.2 points, five catches on 62 yards. Uh, uh, Anthony Miller looks like he's slowly getting more integrated here into the offense, or at least he caught all three of his catches, so that was good for him. Got out-targeted by a bunch of people, but 67 yards. Uh, on three catches, uh, you know I love the the Montgomery thing. You know, obviously made me look very smart saying that on Friday and him coming out. But do you can expect him to continue to be productive moving forward? We've seen really the past three weeks a lot of people complaining that Matt Nagy needed to run the ball more. I felt like that was probably going to happen in this game against a weak, you know, I don't want to say weak Chargers front because they do have good defensive line and linebackers, but they were giving up a lot to the run. Do you expect Montgomery to kind of be the guy moving forward, or you just think it was kind of a one? good game he's going to move back into that flex territory uh, after this well i mean i think we're seeing it with all these rookies there's a reason people were excited when miles sanders came out when david montgomery was out devin singletary you know they have these abilities uh, and this chance to be explosive and they've had 
potential paths for opportunities. We just haven't always seen it. I know Nagy the week before uh, said that he was an idiot and that he needed to run the ball more. Definitely committed to running the ball more against the Chargers. Yeah. I like the trend for Montgomery. I think he's going to possibly be moving in the right direction. But at the same time, this next week they play the Eagles, which is where so, running games go to die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's exciting that they want to commit and they want to use him more, but I still think you're going to have to watch matchups because the Bears offense doesn't seem like it's good enough to blow people off the line and dominate. And at the same time, I still think they're too wedded to this idea of doing kind of trick plays and, and trickeration. And then you're going to have matchups from time to time, like the Eagles one that probably isn't that great. So I think a lot of people will be soaring on David Montgomery after this week, and then we'll have a down week. And that might be, you know, it might be the week after is the time right. where I get more excited about playing him. Um, you know, he probably still, if they're going to commit to giving him this kind of a workload, he could even still have flex uh, range ability against the Eagles because he had five targets, caught four passes. The, the problem is the bears yeah. and, trying to feel confident that Matt Nagy is going to give 31 touches to this guy the next week, or even 20 touches. You know, we've yeah. seen a couple of games where he's gotten a lion's share of the work. And then the very next week he's gotten like five carries. Well, I think for me, um, one of the reasons I, I was so big on Montgomery going to the Bears is we saw them run the ball a lot last year, but I think the difference is the defense is, in my opinion, still playing pretty close to what they did last year. They, they've been very good. We all expected them to regress a little bit, and I would say they probably didn't even regress as much as we all thought they were. Mitch's injury and Mitch's play has hurt that team and, and the offense in general. We saw them really kind of lean on Tariq Cohen last year in the running game and receiving game, especially when they started getting up. And we, I, at least for me, when I looked at Montgomery going there, they, they, they moved up, took him in the third round with like the one pick they had. And, and I thought, okay, they're going to do the same thing they did last year. They're going to use that defense to, to, to stop, get stops, turnovers, and then run the ball and kind of play keep away. And so for me, I was like, David Montgomery is so talented. That's really going to help him. But then they've moved more to what you were just talking about trick plays and and trying to throw more with Mitch Trubisky and I do think that's what's hurt the run game I know the I feel like the past couple weeks you could add up all the carries that David Montgomery got and he would barely break 10 like it's been and even Tariq Cohen like they just have not been running the ball so hopefully this is kind of a revert back to okay we need to run the ball because they were in this game for the most part maybe they'll commit more to running the ball if they do I'm with you Montgomery is going to keep moving up if not it's going to continue to hurt him because uh, I think they're still going to put put going out there even if they are committing to run the ball it's will he get a lion's share of the carries because they still even yesterday gave carries to cohen and cordero patterson yeah. and mike davis among others you know they ended up giving still 27 to montgomery and he had that 55 yard run he had a touchdown he was very he made the most of his opportunities so that's great but i just it's problematic to me that especially i feel like Nagy gets frustrated and if you're not giving you know if he's not seeing good results I think we saw that opening day against Green Bay we were watching Montgomery comes out of the gate and a bunch of carries you're like yep this is what we were expecting but he didn't get huge yards to gain and all of a sudden in the second half it's let's like try Cohen let's try Patterson let's try Davis and you know the Eagles tougher matchup will that happen to him again I think it's possible 
All right, next up we have uh, another team that I felt like kind of got, well, not felt like they did get screwed over by the refs here in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing to the Tennessee Titans 23-27. On the Buccaneers side, Jameis Winston, QB 11 with 30.9 points, 21-43, 301 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, did add 53 yards rushing, which is which was a very interesting in my opinion. Uh, Ronald Jones here led the team in carries by a whopping one over Peyton Barber. 35 yards on 11 carries. Peyton Barber 20 on 10. Jones RB42 with 6.2 points. Barber 40, RB48 with 3.8 points. Barber did get one catch for 18 y- or 8 yards. Ronald Jones one catch for 17. Mike Evans goes off in this one. Wide receiver one, 42.8 points. Two touchdowns, 198 yards on 11 catches. Targeted 12 times. Chris Godwin. Just 43 yards on four catches coming in at wide receiver 31 with 11.8 points. I mean, everybody's going to talk about it for days. Now the Bucks did get robbed by the refs in this one. But Evans jumps back in the spotlight, reminds everyone that he can still be a wide receiver one. I still think Chris Godwin is a wide receiver one. So are we just looking at two guys that, just much like the Vikings last year, are just going to be wide receiver ones going through the rest of the season? Yeah, I think you're playing both. Uh, both have explosive uh, uh, capability any particular game. I think it depends just on matchups and defense. And then, you know, Jameis Winston, I think, reminds me a little bit of peak uh, Blake Bortles. Just he's <laughs> actually pretty good for fantasy, but for your for your real life team, maybe yeah. not the best option. Yep. Uh, let's see. I was going to ask you if they're going to release Ronald Jones, but I know you're not a fan of Ronald Jones. I just wish they'd give that guy some more carries. Uh, Peyton Barber's just a jag. And maybe Ronald Jones is too, but you drafted him in the second round. I mean, I feel like it's finally time to just give the guy the reins and see what he can do. Well, I think they've tried to give him more carries and more opportunities. I just haven't seen him consistently performing. I think that's why they're still splitting. And, you know, there's been... If you read between the lines on some of the comments, you have to wonder if he doesn't make the greatest impression in practice and doesn't have the greatest work ethic. But, I mean, they they pretty much were even on carries. Neither really that impressive. Yeah, neither one has been. Uh, Let's see here. And speaking of non-impressive, the entire Titans team was unimpressive outside of Ryan Tannehill, and that was mostly because of his three touchdowns. 21 of 33, 193 yards and three touchdowns to come in at QB 10 with 30.6 points. Uh, Derrick Henry running back 38 with 7.3 points, 75 yards on 16 carries. Jonu Smith has a great day, though, at tight end for all the people watching him sit on the waiver wires. Tight end 3, 19.8 points, 6 catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown. A.J. Brown and Tajay Sharp both get touchdowns as well, Brown being the highest wide receiver on this team. The wide receiver 51 with 9.1 points, 11 yards on 2 catches, and a touchdown. I mean... We obviously saw, we, we talk about it, I feel like every podcast, tight end is just a, a wasteland out there. Jonu Smith, top wave wire pickup this week and hopes that he continues doing what he did this week, considering it seems like Delaney Walker has completely fallen off in this offense. Yeah, I mean, they, it looks like they want to use tight ends because Frisker had five targets, caught three for 43 as well. He's the other tight end. Um, you know, it's interesting to see... Tennessee's almost a little whack-a-mole in their passing game, too, because it seemed like one of the exciting things about going to Tannehill was that Corey Davis and A.J. Brown had come to life a little bit more. Davis had six targets, but only two for nine. A.J. Brown, if he doesn't kind of luck into that touchdown, 
uh, does really nothing in this game. So kind of a bummer. They're just really pounding the tight ends. Adam Humphreys out there. Tajay Sharp, for reasons of passing understanding, is out there starting. Um, so it's a little bit of a whack-a-mole. I like Johnny Smith. If you knew Walker wasn't going to play, I'd feel better about him when yeah. Walker's in there. I think it still might be a little bit like Cameron Brayton and O.J. Howard. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, Corey Davis is probably my worst call this week. I thought he would be a top 12 wide receiver based on the matchup here. Uh, Tampa yeah. Bay giving up a lot of production to wide receivers. And with what we had seen the past couple weeks, as you just mentioned with Tannehill, I thought easy plug and play. And my goodness, did he let a lot of people. I'm glad I didn't plug him in because I just don't necessarily believe in him. But I, I feel bad because I did pump him up on the Friday podcast and he definitely fell flat on that. The last, Another dud game for uh, Derrick Henry, too, because he had yeah. 75 yards, caught one pass, and had a fumble that he lost. So yeah. something to watch. I mean, I feel like I say that every other week, and then he bounces back and has that RB2 week and makes me think, golly, this guy's just going to prove me wrong. So I'm just going to stop making predictions on these guys because Amari Cooper's also made me look very wrong so far this year. Uh, and it's just it, it doesn't it doesn't make me happy, especially with the way my fantasy seasons are going. I'm like, well, at least I can rely on my calls here. My calls are starting to look bad too, so it's just not looking good for me. Uh, this last game is uh, one that was obviously close to your heart. We'll save the Broncos part for last because I don't think there's much on the Colts side to talk about, so we'll knock them out first. Uh, the Colts side here, they obviously come away with a very close victory, 15-13. to Jacoby Brissett, 15 of 25, 202 yards, added 34 yards on the ground to come in at QB 25 with 14.73 points. Marlon Mack, 76 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown, added one catch for 14 yards to come in at RB 14 with 16 points. T.Y. Hilton struggled in this one, but I think I, I will come to you. I, I would imagine that a lot of it was him being on Harris. Again, we've talked about Harris yeah. a lot. Yeah, it would have been even worse. He caught his 35-yard pass uh, right at the end uh, on kind of a broken play where it had looked like Vaughn was about to put Brissett down in the end zone. So gotcha. uh, could have been even worse. So, yeah, 54 yards on two catches, 35 of that coming on one. So, yeah, he would have had a whopping one point uh, leading up into that. Ends up finishing his wide receiver 53 with seven points. And then Eric Ebron, the, best, the next best option here with uh, – 26 yards on three catches. Oh, I missed him, Miss Jack Doyle. 61 yards on four catches. So not a bad day for Doyle either. Uh, I mean, on the Colts here, there, there's not really much to talk about. I mean, played a very good defense. Uh, I, I'm, you're starting all these guys every week. I mean, I know neither one of us are Mac believers, but he's likely getting plugged in your running back two or flex yep. just based on how high you drafted him. So not much really for the Colts side here for me. Do you have anything you want to add on the Colts? No, I mean, it was a pretty fierce uh, defensive game. I think Brissett said afterward that it was the toughest uh, defensive front that he's had to face. They were they were pressing him a lot. Um, you know, Mac did a nice job to get Riggle free for that touchdown. And, uh, you know, they kind of spread the ball around. It was a nice little game for Naheem Hines, who yeah. got a few carries and uh, made the most of his targets, too, out of the backfield. All right, on the Broncos side, we, we have a lot to talk about here, so we'll run through the fantasy numbers really quick. Obviously, uh, Joe Flacco struggled a little bit in this one. 20 of 32, 174 yards to come in as QB 27 with 12.8 points. Phillip Lindsay and uh, Royce Freeman continue to finish very close to each other. 
Lindsay, 59 yards on 14 carries and adds uh, 17 yards on five catches to come in at RB21 with 12.6 points. Freeman, RB23 with 11.5 points, gets 40 yards on 12 carries and a touchdown, but just five yards on one catch. Cortland Sutton finally comes up. I, I don't want to say small, still a very good game, uh, but but a little bit less than what we've seen out in the past couple weeks. Still 72 yards on three catches, so a fairly good day all in all. Wide receiver 42 with 10.2 points, and then Noah Fant actually pops up in the box score. 26 yards on five catches, tied in 15 with 7.6 points. Obviously, the big news coming out of this was the Joe Flacco press conference from yesterday, pretty much blaming the play calling and coaches not being more aggressive. Ever while we've been sitting here, we we've also learned now that Joe Flacco has been benched due to a quote unquote neck injury or herniated disc. I believe is what it was. Uh, a lot of people saying that they feel like that's Vic Fangio pretty much telling him to just take a seat on the bench. Uh, what's just your thoughts overall and everything that's going on with Denver and what you saw from the game? I would say first of all, his injury is real. If you had actually forced yourself to watch the. Uh, 1513 slugfest that featured Adam Vinatieri making two 50 plus yard field goals, but missing an extra point. Uh, you would have seen Flacco on the sideline getting worked out by trainers. They were working his neck. They were checking his neck and shoulders several times. A couple times okay. the commentators actually made comments about they didn't understand why Brandon Allen, our backup, wasn't warming up because it looked like there was a significant chance he might have to go in. Well, in fairness, um, so something was going on with him during the game. In fairness to that, too, I mean, it, I'm I'm not saying that it's not real. I don't know. Obviously, I, I didn't get a chance to watch that game. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of football yesterday due to, to what's going on with me. Uh, but uh, I just, as I said, made a joke about it because I see a lot of people talking yeah. about it on Twitter. Uh, but in fairness to that, this is the injury he suffered last year that allowed Lamar Jackson to yeah. get in. So it may be very real. But go ahead and tell us, obviously, we know Brandon well, Allen was announced as the starter Mike, and everything else. Yeah, Mike Kliss, who's a beat reporter for Denver, said after the game uh, and after his kind of infamous press conference where he – uh, made his grievances known. Flacco said he had a lot of soreness in his neck and shoulders, but he thought it was just a hit he had taken. So they probably, at that point in time, didn't realize exactly what it was. I know they they do follow ups and stuff today, and it was today that they kind of announced. So it could be one of those things you look at on an MRI and you're like, oh, that is why you're sore. And sometimes those things get worse afterward. You have adrenaline in the game. They were working him out quite a bit you know, kind of stretching him. So he's already been ruled out. There's talk that he'll go, he could go on IR. I think that's, I would not be surprised to see that happen. The big question is what Denver does the rest of the season. They have four players that have been talked about as potential candidates to come back off IR. One is Drew Locke, who was second round pick um, and a quarterback that people want to see. One's tight end Jake Butt. One is wide receiver Tim Patrick, who was kind of the fourth wide receiver for this team, broke his arm, went on IR. And one is Theo Riddick, which people may have forgot Denver signed Theo Riddick because he barely played in the preseason, got hurt. Uh, he was on that one-year kind of veterans contract. <clears throat> so there's been a lot of talk about who they were going to bring back. Last week, John Elway kind of increased tension around that because he said after we traded Emmanuel Sanders that we were definitely bringing Tim Patrick back off IR. You can only bring back two guys. 
yesterday, Jeff Hireman got hurt. Not sure how serious that is, one of the tight ends, and that made people wonder if they were going to instantly bring back Jake Butt, meaning that we will never see Drew Locke this season, which seems counterintuitive for a guy you you drafted as a second-round pick. There's been a lot of talk today that Brett Rippon is going to be activated off the practice squad and is going to be the backup, and that Brandon Allen might be the starter for the rest of the season, or they might put put Flacco on IR and activate Drew Locke. Vic Fangio also said in his press conference that Drew Locke's thumb is completely healed. He just hasn't practiced. Well... That is also curious, makes you wonder, is our Denver's reservations? I always wondered if them sticking him on IR wasn't only about his injury. Um, if they had reservations, you know, this coaching staff was not very favorable about him in any time they spoke about him during training camp or the offseason or the early preseason and the hesitancy to bring him back. It's really a lost season. I don't see the benefit in bringing back uh-huh. Theoretic in any way. I mean, why? We have Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman. We're not even playing Booker. So, sounds fine. And honestly, I was kind of disappointed yesterday. I thought we were going to get to see Deshaun Hamilton, Fred Brown. They finally had Juwan Winfrey active on a game day. He didn't get a single target. I didn't see him out there. Hamilton got one target that Flacco mailed out, out of bounds. Fred Brown got two targets. And that was it. So, you know, they've been talking about trying to find wide receiver, too. These are all these young guys that they wanted to get involved. I I like Patrick just fine, but it would have been fine for me seeing who we got and trying to see what we got. Denver should be playing for 2020. To me, it should be activate lock, put them out there, see what you've got. We're clearly cresting toward kind of a high draft pick. If you put them out there, much like Josh Rosen in Miami, you have to put them out there. You have to see. I don't care if your team's not perfect. Denver has many problems. Flacco probably had some points about the lack of aggression, but it's hard for them probably to get too aggressive when they see Flacco not completing passes, looking like he doesn't care, which is certainly the way it looked playing Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we struggle so mightily uh, blocking, especially in pass protection. So there's a lot of problems uh, to me, it's a time where you, you put guys out there and see what happens. Um, Denver, it's the next week or two is going to be very interesting in seeing their future. And honestly, if Locke doesn't get activated off IR, I'd almost think his time in Denver is done. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to see him get a shot. I mean, I, I would hope that that's what eventually is going to happen. I know uh, we were kind of talking about that on Twitter a little bit when they when they announced the Flacco thing, and I said, is it Drew Locke, Tom? I know that, as, as you said, Brandon Allen is going to be the starter this week at least. I'd love to see him at least get a shot. I mean, I, I liked him coming out of college. I, I don't want to say I disagree with what the Broncos coaches said because I even said uh, when I was evaluating him for, for Dynasty Nerds that I felt like he has a lot of potential, but he needs some time. He's a little bit raw from what we saw in college, but I think he's a really good prospect. I'd love to see him get a shot here in Denver uh, toward the end of the season. So I will be watching that closely, as I'm sure you will, to see what they what they end up doing and what the Broncos could uh, you know end up looking like here toward the end. Because if, if Locke looks good with 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 Sutton and Hamilton here toward the end, I mean that 
then there's a lot of other places they could go with those high draft picks. And we all know once you have your franchise quarterback, you know, it's, it's just building around them and that offense. And I like a lot of their offensive pieces have a really good running back group, really good wide receiver group. Obviously, I think Bradley Chubb and Von Miller on the defensive side are, are phenomenal. So it, I don't think Denver's far away, but I'm with you. I think now they kind of have to start building toward that, that 2020 season. Yeah, and interestingly, though, it just seems like they still refuse to give up. Fangio said today there will definitely be no more trades. Uh-huh. A lot of people had wondered if Harris on kind of last year was deal was going to go for picks uh, or if they there were a couple other targets that they thought people may be interested in. So it's, it's really interesting. That combined Denver's two, two of their three highest um, expenditures in free agency. Bryce Callahan's never played for us. Juwan James can't play more than 10 snaps in a game without getting injured so it's just been a weird year yeah it'll be definitely interesting to see and obviously well uh, if they end up trading Harris or not we'll obviously talk a lot about that tomorrow uh with with the deadline probably happening right before we start recording so we'll have a pretty good idea of all of the trades and and everything that's gone down obviously a lot of news coming out now that Trent Williams might be traded uh you know obviously you talked about your guys well, we'll see. I don't think that's going to fix anything. We'll talk more about the Browns tomorrow, obviously, when we get to the Patriots. But, Matt, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Yep, have a great night. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. God, leave. Over the top. Touchdown.